0: From the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. Home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast.
1: It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. This is Michelle. And this is Mark. Why are you looking so disappointed?
0: I was going to start to do this, but I didn't think that would picked up yeah probably uh, not whatever
1: sorry (laughs) listeners (laughs) (laughs) so michelle got here late this morning
2: yeah this morning (laughs) was one of those series of unfortunate events i um but we'll we'll call this fresh face tuesday how's that oh because you don't have any makeup on no i barely have clothes on like (laughs) i you wrote (laughs) <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> my alarm didn't go off. You, like, bound uh, out of bed, barely take a shower. I haven't had coffee. My car has, like, the, um, that I drove in this morning. I drove here all the way with the check your gas tank stupid idiot light on.
1: Um, <laughs> Good thing you didn't run out of gas.
2: No, I know. Seriously, it's it's one of those mornings okay. where it just, yeah. But, other, but I'm still catching up from my trip <coughs> this weekend. Again, I have to admit that I was gone this weekend, down in L.A. building Tiny House, which was cool. Very and cool. Um, so, you know, you come back and then you're like, oh yeah, the rest of my life still all my chores and stuff that I'm behind on. I don't know. I'm feeling a little
1: off. I can see that. I can <laughs> feel that. It's Where all d- the mudslides. <laughs> it is all Portland. the mudslides <laughs> in Portland. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Where did you stay in L.A.? I stayed
2: at an Airbnb condo. Oh, um, which was right down there by Woolshire adjacent to the La Brea Tar pits.
1: Oh wow! Did you see any homeless people around the tar pits?
2: I did actually. We saw a few <laughs> actually. Because
0: that's
1: where they hang. <laughs> well, it's warm over there. No, I know.
2: Actually, actually, I'm there was there was a lot of commentary about um, homeless people in L.A. in general. As a matter of fact, I was interviewed for a uh, radio uh, for a radio show that's coming up in L.A. They're putting together a radio show about tiny houses and how they can help the home. Well, tiny houses in general, huh. um, but more specifically how they can help the homeless. So I had an opportunity to be interviewed by a radio station <coughs> and, uh, I had an opportunity to step over a few homeless people in LA too, as we were out partying and bar hopping till all hours of the morning. With w-
1: was Andrew at the, uh in LA with you? Yes, he was. Oh, he was? Okay, yes, he good. Was. So this should not be a surprise that we're going to be talking about uh, tiny houses for the homeless.
2: Today. No, as a matter of fact, I don't think so. Um, he actually made some, again, commentary as we're stepping over them and around them. Um, so I thought it would be a great opportunity to circle back with him and discuss his his, uh, his chapter in Turning Tiny, where he wrote a, an interesting uh, opinion piece about tiny houses for the homeless. And, and again, it was, it was being put on the spot on the radio on this radio interview yeah. they're like so you know everybody thinks a tiny house for the homeless is a really great idea what do you think and i was like it's a complex issue <laughs> yes. i don't know that i did the the subject matter justice on that impromptu interview and i really feel like i want to i want to dive into it a little bit more
1: well good so this this transition was so smooth we did not even know it happened andrew welcome to the show
3: <laughs> hey thank you
1: yeah, so I'm going to ask you the same thing that the radio person asked Michelle. Everyone says that the ho- tiny house, tiny houses, are great for the homeless people. What do you think?
3: I think it's a complex. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: yep, 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 yep. Uh, Statesman as always. <laughs> So what's this? What's this opinion that uh, Michelle is talking about? That you was it? He wrote it in Turning Tiny.
2: Yeah, yeah, his chapter in Turning Tiny <laughs> about you.
3: Yeah, I actually wrote a um, a long chapter about how I, uh, if chosen as the tiny house slash homeless liaison, <laughs> uh, that I would actually build a wall around <laughs> myself so that no. No homeless people could enter into my personal space.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of building a wall, did you guys see I have my 84 lumber T-shirt on that. today? I do see that. Do you, did you see the commercial?
0: It was awesome. Perry didn't watch the Super
2: Perry Bowl. Perry didn't watch oh, no, the no, Super Bowl. no, I don't Bowl. watch Super Bowl. And you didn't see the 84 lumber mm-hmm. commercial that was, okay.
1: Sure did not.
0: I saw it. It was, you know, it, I, I, it was touching.
1: They're coming up if they are on if they can afford a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. First,
0: the first ad they had actually got turned down. Why? It was too political.
1: Hmm. What well, which direction did it go, was it going?
0: Pro immigration. Oh, interesting. Which is still what they did, but they, they toned it down slightly.
2: Huh. Interestingly enough, there was an interview with the uh, their CFO or something um, that came up after that because their website crashed and everything because everybody went to comment on the on their on their commercial, and she said it wasn't about immigration at all. What? And she's actually very much a Trump supporter and uh, wasn't about immigration, not one little bit. What's her name? I do not recall.
0: I Cause think I her th- name's Alternata Facta. <laughs> 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 From Lithuania. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: what was the what uh, just spend a little bit of time on this. What was the the commercial what was in the commercial
0: It w- it was a very well shot in film, um Showing a woman getting ready to leave her village, picking up her child and hitting the hitting the streets and heading north. We would assume.
2: Correct. Yeah. So there was village it was in a Mexico. Correct. Uh, it was a, it was a Mexican. Yeah. The implication was that it was a Mexican woman taking her four or five year old daughter to America and all the the rivers they crossed and the and the shady characters they encountered <laughs> and they finally come <laughs> up to the border. Excuse me. They finally come up to the border, and there's a very, very, very large wall. And, of course, they're disappointed. You know, they've, they've come all this way, and they meet this big wall. And then they they hear something around the corner, and they walk around the corner. And there's a very, very large gate, a very big sort of door. And they push open the door, and they come into, um, presum- again, presumably America. They push open the door, come into America. And driving off is a guy... In a pickup truck with all of his construction gear and leftover lumber and stuff in the back of his truck, kind of a good old boy American guy driving away, and uh, the commercial, eh, the the tagline, then it's just Mm -hmm. a one line. It's something like, um, Andrew. I actually I don't think Andrew watched it either. and something like, for those of you that really want, you know, for those of you that are really, uh, what is the tagline? I'll have to look it
1: up now. I don't
0: remember. I just remember, th- you know, for the rest of the story, go to someplace online. Right. so
1: interesting that she said that wasn't about immigration.
2: Right. And then she came out in a full-length interview and said that she viewed walls as more of a security. She felt secure, and uh, the, the door was <coughs> about welcoming, not about, you know, it, it was weird that she... Anyways,
1: that's weird. So, um, Andrew, why would you why would you build a wall? That's very very a very good transition, Michelle. Why would you build a wall around your tiny house to keep out the homeless people?
3: Homeless people are very dirty and rude, <laughs> and that's not how I see my life. <laughs>
1: what was your what was what was the tenor of your um, piece in turning tiny? Did it say basically what you just said?
3: Yeah, it said, that, um, it said that I dislike all people unlike myself. <laughs> so you are running for office, I see. Yeah. <laughs> I see that Andrew no, has us. So <laughs> here's the thing. So, uh, you know, I've been involved in the tiny house movement, which I no longer even call it that. I refer to it as the modern tiny house movement because. Uh, We've yet to see it really go anywhere, so uh, I refuse to call it a movement because movement indicates that you're coming from somewhere and going to another place. And so far, we've done this excellent tiny house stand-in place. So um, (laughs) I I now refer to it as the modern tiny house stand-in place. (laughs) And uh, so – you know, as a, a member of that community um, for a number of years, I tend to look at tiny houses not as, you know, this entity or this oddity or this fascination or anything like that. <laughs> I've kind of moved on in my life to looking at tiny houses as being uh, being alternative housing answers to problems um the number one problem i see them answering is unaffordable unattractive subsidized housing now where do i see that fit in with the homeless population the homeless population did not become homeless simply because they couldn't afford a pretty house that's not the issue you have to get back to what the problem actually is if you're going to come up with a viable solution So when you analyze the homeless situation in America, you don't just come up with this notion that, oh, they're homeless because they don't have a house. That oftentimes is just a symptom of a greater illness. And whether that be, um, you know, a returning veteran or chemical dependency or unemployment or mental instability or any number of things. You have to first understand the problem in order to come to a viable solution. So do I think that tiny houses could be some part of the answer? Well, sure I do. I think they could definitely be part of the answer. But I don't think they're the full answer. That's like saying, you know, your four-year-old or five-year-old can't color in the lines. Well, clearly the problem must be that the crayon doesn't want to stay within the line. (laughs) So let's give the child a new crayon. (laughs) Not the problem. You have to get to the root of the problem. And I think that is where America falls shy of the mark. We're always looking for a Band-Aid solution instead of actually performing surgery. So throwing a tiny house at a homeless person saying, here, find dignity. (laughs) <laughs> Find a house. I just don't think that's the response. I think that's like, you know, that's like just taking a pile of gooey snot and throwing it against the wall and seeing if the booger stick.
1: <laughs> now that's a well, well, well uh, put position, well put frame. Um, so I'm curious what you, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because Mark, if I may say this, has very um. similar perspective on this issue. Thanks for throwing me under the bus. <laughs> Long ago, when we were uh, in the early stages of of the podcast, the tiny house podcast as movement now standing where it is, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it Mark was concerned that um, the city here in Portland was going to go in that direction of trying to create a homeless solution via tiny houses, um, and we even had a we actually had a Dig- not Dignity Village, what was that place called in Olympia? Quixote. Quixote, Quixote, very good, Michelle. Where'd you pull that from? Um, yeah, Quixote Village, uh, where where they have, a f- you could say, demonstrated success at housing the homeless. But even there, you're exactly right, Andrew. the the, the people there, as Mark had said back then they still have their problems. They just now have the home to have their problems in. And
0: they have somebody there to help manage right. the community as well and right. kind of help them to understand the transition. Like Andrew said, they're not just throwing a, throwing a <laughs> tiny house out. them going, you, you, you're success. <laughs> American success. Thank right.
3: you. Right. Yeah, well, let me just go on record of saying I've always thought Mark was the smart one of the book. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: um, that's fine, and, as long and, as and I get the moniker that, pretty one. I, I think one. that's
3: the issue, too, is... is I'm a, data, I'm a data-driven guy. Um, now, I say that kind of laughing to myself because I actually, you know, I, Tiny Revolution is a fairly popular site, I suppose, has been for a number of years. I've never looked at my Google Analytics, so I have no idea if it truly is popular or if it's just something I tell myself to validate the amount of time I spend on it. <laughs> um, but... I'm a numbers-driven guy, and because of that, I need to see some data on these villages. We have not had a village around long enough to say that it has been uh, a success or a failure, either one. We have nothing to tell us whether or not it is something that could succeed or could not succeed. So until we get some actual data measurements and we get some actual case studies, I think we're just dealing with examples. We're just dealing with kind of uh, of lab tests at this point and um you know we all know what happens to most lab rats when they decide to uh donate their lives to science so you know while we're in a great position to kind of throw these ideas out there and i, I think there's some merit in trying them there's not enough data yet for me to say whether or not this is any sort of solution Other than, hey, it's kind of cool that we've made tiny houses popular and we can give them away to homeless people, you know, under the auspice of being a tax write-off for a corporation that will throw $20,000 that way.
1: Wow. It's interesting you say that because I believe that was partially how Quixote Village was funded. Yeah, they got a bit of state
0: funding and maybe even some federal. I mean, we did the math per unit. It, including yeah. the land and everything else, it was actually pretty high, yeah. which again, for a social services program, there's going to be extra fees in there. I totally get that. I understand it. But and Andrew already said, I mean, it's the, the the problem with homelessness isn't these people don't have homes. There's alcohol problems. There's drug problems. There's 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 significant problems that people have that are going to get them to the point where they can get their own home. And it can be a tiny home if they want to anyway, but that's just o- offering somebody a home doesn't really serve them
1: in the long run. It, it doesn't really, but it does, it does solve, I think, a different problem than the one we're talking about. And that is the problem that, and, and it is anecdotal at this point, Andrew, you're right, but the problem that I think some people think needs to be solved and could be solved by tiny houses is getting them out of the storefront sh- sidewalk.
3: Yeah. Sure. So then you have to ask yourself, if, if that be the solution, then what's the problem? Are, is the problem the fact that there are people sleeping in stoops, or is the problem that business owners don't like the way people sleep in their stoops and cause their businesses to look to the outside public? It's the
1: second one, yeah.
3: Are we are we just sweeping away the problem Yes. because it inconveniences us as a society, as business owners? Yes. Because if that be the case, we'll never come up with a solution because there will always be some pest petulance at our front doorstep.
1: Yeah, that's that's that is that goes back to what you were saying before that here in America and probably in other countries we, we don't want to we don't seem to want to solve the core the core problem. Actually, yeah, and
3: you know, take for instance a, a well placed tent city. Uh, the tent city is not an issue to us. We don't mind that homeless people are sleeping in tent cities. We mind when they start to encroach on our public space. Yeah. So when they begin to overflow into our interstate and we're sitting there, uh, you know, waiting for traffic to move, and we have to stare at homeless people in their tents, that's when it becomes a problem, and that's when we start suggesting that there is a problem and we need a solution. Yes. Oftentimes, the solution is just to displace them in another location mm-hmm. that's out of our frame of eyesight. Hmm.
2: I do have a little bit of experience after having worked for a uh, for a nonprofit for a number of years that was that provided um, housing for the homeless and disadvantaged, and I do remember some of the statistics back then. And this was you know ten years ago, but but I can't imagine they have definitely changed much. And when you take the cross section of homeless people, I think I disagree with you, Perry, from one perspective in that um, we don't seem to quote unquote want to solve the problem. I think. The problem is we can't agree on what the problem is.
1: That's that's yeah right. I, I think we that's can't. Part and of the
2: so, again, <laughs> we started out. <laughs> we started out by saying this is a complex issue. Um, our homeless population, no matter where you go, is it is divided between mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, it's divided between the anti-establishmentarianists. I mm-hmm. don't want to pay bills. Mm-hmm. I want to live in a tent. I don't want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual able-bodied people who want to work who are on the streets these people that we seem to to laud as a give them a house they will succeed is a very very small percentage Mm -hmm. um again the mental ill and the addicted are by far the Mm -hmm. biggest percentage of the homeless 50 60 70 80 i think i mean it was a huge number um that contributed to the housing you know crisis
1: so i think i think andrew's right though that the the and I hear what you're saying about us not wanting to agree on the problem, but I think the reason why we don't agree on the problem is because the, the real problem underneath all of the uh, red herrings is too painful to look at and address. So let me ask Andrew. Andrew, what do you think the problem actually is? Well, I
3: think the problem is... Quite frankly, I think the largest problem I see is that anytime we come close to identifying the problem, it hits too close at home, and so we tend to ignore it. It makes it more comfortable for us to ignore. The problem is we have drug addiction in America. We have alcohol abuse in America. We have domestic violence in America. We have, home, uh, we have uh, veterans that are not treated fairly for the time they committed to the security of America in America, we have a capitalist issue in America, because of all of these things, it makes us seem less than Norman Rockwellian if you will. And we can't come, we can't get ourselves to admit that we are not a perfect people. The moment we admit that we are not a perfect people is the moment we can start getting to the root of some of these issues and stop throwing the dog a proverbial bone.
1: So so the problem sounds like Me that you're describing is basically denial.
3: Oh, absolutely. I think that the problem is almost 100% denial of the issues at hand. Yeah.
1: So, okay. yeah I mean it and in some ways, it's interesting because the tiny house standing where we are, I think that's how you put it. Um, in some ways, Andrew facilitates what you're describing because if i can if I can with my own two hands, not my two dead cold hands, <laughs> <laughs> can um, can get some materials from eighty four lumber and build myself a tiny house and put it on a piece of land. And just have my own kind of little personal utopia, I don't have to worry at all about any of those problems that we're talking about right now.
3: That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. And I think that is what we're doing with some of these homeless villages. If we put them, we build enough tiny houses and we put these villages together and we isolate them in an the area, then they can continue to, to live as they live with the issues that they face. But in an isolated environment where people live with the same issues, so there's misery
1: amongst company. It's it's interesting, Andrew. There's sorry, Michelle. There's there's um there are three tiny house villages that I'm aware of that are not sanctioned. There's well, there's one that's sanctioned. The one out um, by the airport here in Portland. It's Dignity Village. Mm-hmm. That one's sanctioned by the city. But there's one I've spoken t- about before on the show over by where I live that started as um just people living in tents and now i would say half of the people in that on that piece of property have built a tiny home to live in they're more like relax shacks than right. they are t- right true tiny houses but right. nonetheless and then there's another one that i just saw when traffic was heavy i took this alternative route ho- home um by the hospital by emmanuel hospital in northeast portland it's it's like a it's like half a block fenced in and before the homeless people were there it was just it was a home but now the home is not there and it's completely covered with tiny houses
0: hmm. well, well, more, relaxed shack-y though, more relaxed shaki more relaxed yeah here, okay
2: yeah, yeah. there's a new one there's also a new one over on um yeah we have we have them kind of cropping up all over because mm-hmm. i just saw an article okay. about the new one and i know i know that darren uh darren williams is actually uh either contracting with or working with the city to to build um to build some housing solutions
1: hmm so, you know, it's I think you're right, um, Andrew. There is the problem that's being solved with tiny houses is a n- NIMBY problem or actually not. NIMBYs. not in my backyard. It's more of a not in my storefront. It's that problem. Right. And it's not really. I want
3: to add something real quick. Yeah, so go ahead. I just thought of something. And that is, this. you know, we talk about transitioning. We talk about we can transition the homeless back into society, into a place of society, that sort of thing. Does that say that the problem then is with the fact that they are ill-equipped for society as it is? Or is that saying the problem is we've allowed American society to advance to such a ridiculous point of consumption that we can only hope to bring everyone up to that level? What are we saying to people? We're saying, hey, to have dignity, you need to be back into the American dream. You need to get back to that $200,000 mortgage. You need to get back to that 80-hour-a-week work week. I mean, that's what we're really looking at here. Is is that the message we're sending them? That without those dreams, without being to a- attain those certain motivations, are you not a dignified person?
1: Very emphatically and well stated. Mm-hmm. So
2: I'm going to be authentic for a moment. This is going to be a really unpopular deci- a really unpopular opinion.
1: Authenticity, authenticity counts.
2: Yes. So I have to admit that. Um, I'm going to sound like elitist. You I kind of really don't illegal. want. I kind of don't want tiny houses to be equated with the homeless because I don't want people to feel sorry for me because I live in a tiny house.
1: Well, that's how. That's how. Um. Oh, what's that? What's that African American game show host? Uh, who's Steve? Again? Steve, Steve Harvey. Harvey. That's yeah. how Steve Harvey feels about you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right. That's <laughs> true. I agree. I completely <laughs> agree with Michelle. I don't want what I consider to be a viable form of living. A viable home. I don't want it to only be equated with a transitional piece for someone to go from down and out to up and coming. Well, and I think that minimizes the work that the groundwork that's been laid for so many years now.
2: He said it better.
1: I, I agree. <laughs> I agree with him, but at the same time, Andrew, isn't isn't the tiny house standing where it is diverse enough to include that and? All the other things that it represents. I mean, there's the community's large, and so it not can, yet though. But but is it going to be? And I'm not advocating for anything. I'm just arguing. Right, I know. Okay, but can it can it absorb this application? I without being tarnished. Yeah, I, that's I think I, the I biggest think it challenge. Can
3: absorb, but that's the thing. It can absorb. It doesn't have to be set aside and create a new precedent. It can absorb. You can say, hey. You know, tiny houses have the option to be more affordable housing for those who are looking for that solution in their life. They shouldn't be thrust at people saying, Hey, this is how you can end your drug abuse. Oh right. Live in a tiny house. Right.
2: Well I'm but I'm thinking that, you know, the people that live in McMansions unapologetically, they love their McMansions. Mm-hmm. They they think tiny houses are cute. And, but the only way they can wrap their head around, um, oh, they're so cute and they're so cool. They'd be so cool for the homeless. Like, like, yeah, the tiny, like, we, I don't want that stigma associated with tiny houses, right? Like he said, it's like, let's not present them as this transition from you have nothing to back to McMansion. Let's sort of, is there some way to self identify the tiny house movement as, Come one, come all, diversity is good, kind of a thing. Um,
1: why do we why do we care what the the unapologetic McMansion dwellers think?
3: Well, we care because they're the people that set our tax base by and large. They're the people that run our corporations, they're the ones that run you know, that run political swinging groups. they're the ones that run uh, the politics. They are the bourgeois, if you will. So because of that, we either have to figure out how to overthrow them, or we have to do what some tiny house pioneers have done uh, recently with the IRC and stuff, and we have to fight them at their own game.
1: And what what does that what does that mean in your mind, um, Andrew? Fighting them at their own game. To me,
3: that means to me that means I'm going to keep pushing my local zoning until they listen to what I have to say. And what, I'm going to keep pushing to live legally in a tiny house until we reach that point where they are truly legal. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I'm going to do my best to keep advocating for alternative housing in whatever form that it
1: is. right on. Do you get do you uh, do you have the opportunity to interact with members of the bourgeoisie?
3: Members of the what?
1: The bourgeoisie?
3: Oh, gosh, yeah, man. I live in the, the rural, you know, I live in the deep south. I mean, we have, you know, the, the good old boy system is in full effect down here. So, you know, for I don't get to deal with, you know, uh, Washington, D.C. type bourgeoisie or, <laughs> you know, Manhattan bourgeoisie. But the good old boy network bourgeoisie, you bet I did. And
1: how do they, how do they respond to what you're doing?
3: Well, you know, it's an interesting thing because I think a lot of people would think that the good old boy system looks at it like, oh, you know, you're not going to have that piece of junk next to my whatever. You know, I've worked too hard next for this, my that. Sort of thing. There's actually a high level of tolerance and embracing because it reminds them of the house they grew up in, yeah. or it reminds them of their grandmama's house or something like that. Mm. They're not. My encounter with that particular class is that they're no, not so far removed from when they didn't have it all that they no longer want to recognize people who choose to live a, a different way. Mm. They're okay with you living a different way. You're talking about people who will build a half-million-dollar house and not care one bit that there's a single wide next to them. <laughs> because it's about their house. It's about them showcasing what they have done. Mm-hmm. Not needing everyone else to look like them. Mm-hmm.
2: I would actually, Perry, kind of spill my question, but I'm going to take a little bit further. So describe your... Um, so we were talking about advocacy, um, and that includes government and municipalities. Can you describe your... Um, your process, your conversations, your local municipalities um, either embracing or rejecting the movement at large?
3: Yeah, you know, it started back in 2010 when we first moved to Eastern Carolina with a tiny house. Um, and it was, it was a, a re-education of sorts. I mean, every conversation we had with a zoning person or an inspector, we were educating them. We were teaching them things that they had not thought about before trying to put things in their vernacular, and it's continued since then. Every chance we have to meet, I spoke with the lieutenant governor of North Carolina about four or five months ago at a meeting we were both at and talked his ear off about tiny houses, and, and uh, I'm constantly sending his uh, director of events emails of, of links and things that I find interesting. The most recent one uh, was on NPR.org about two days ago, vocational school high schools in West Virginia who are building 500 square foot houses for flood displacement victims as opposed to having to use FEMA trailers. Mm. So it's well received. I think the notion is it's overwhelming. Where do I start? Am I talking about someone who wants to travel the country in a tiny house on wheels and therefore not you know could not be part of our community not be part of something part of a tax structure that sort of thing Or are we talking about someone who just wants a different sort of house? And if it's someone who wants a different sort of house, tell me how we can make that happen. Tell me how we can fit that into the parameters, which often come down to uh, first responders, emergency systems, Mm -hmm. safety, that sort of thing. Less really in what I have found in my experiences is less about the tax dollars and more about protecting our butts from being sued.
1: Interesting. Sued by, uh, by whom, for what?
3: Uh, you know, local politicians, commissioners, things like that, being sued, or cities being sued because a tiny house, or house burns up. and Or a tiny house gets settled, you know, starts to blaze up, and it affects the house next door to them. And they get, the city then gets sued because they allowed a house that perhaps doesn't fall well within the code mm. to be uh, a certified, you know, residence, uh, residence of, a, of, of a citizen.
1: I see. Interesting. Do you ever um, get tired of saying the same old thing to different people?
3: Yeah, in fact, I'm done with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's yeah, okay, because I my, got a great subject said in segue. Me with the ability to just talk about something till I beat the dead horse <laughs> dead even more. <laughs> um, I don't. First of all, I don't ever get tired of hearing myself talk, and I think that's a good thing. Um, Secondly, I don't get tired of hearing myself express my own opinion. In fact, I love (laughs) listening to myself talk about my own opinion. Um, And thirdly, if you I probably should be a funeral director, and I'll tell you why. Because if you will sit still long enough, I'll talk to you about anything. (laughs) So I don't mind. As long as that audience invites me to speak, I kind of look at it as like, that's their fault. They shouldn't ask me at
2: all. Awesome. Well, speaking of advocacy and speaking of your local community, um, we have you have an event coming up pretty soon, and I was wondering, um, how has that, uh, you have an event coming up, you want to talk about it, and how has that affected your local municipality's acceptance of or fear of tiny houses?
3: Yeah, so uh, I'm, the host of the 2017 Tiny House U.C. Street Festival. Um, That's a mouthful, but it it means a lot to me. Uh, We're hosting that here in Pink Hill, North Carolina, which is in eastern North Carolina. It's a very small town, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, how all that goes down. But, you know, unlike other festivals, I'm actually staying true to the whole tiny mantra. I haven't invited anyone. There'll be no houses there. Uh, it's just going to be the tiniest, tiny festival ever. Um, I'm actually just going to carry around a pinwheel and walk through the streets as the wind blows through it. That's about the level of celebration. Um, no, it is, uh, it's It's going to be really an outstanding event, I think. Um, first of its kind in North Carolina. Um We have right now 13 professionally built tiny houses that will be available for tour. We have 16 speakers, uh, some more nationally known than others, but all nationally recognized. Uh, We're going to have 12 vendors on hand. We'll have six food trucks. Uh, It's just going to be a large celebration. We're expecting about 5,000 people uh, into a town that is on any given day 1,700 people. Wow! So uh, it'll be... uh, (laughs) Uh, yeah, it, uh, I hope that when all is said and done, we're billed as the first tiny house festival that actually took over the city.
1: <laughs>
3: nice. Um, so, which won't be hard. I mean, it's 1,700 well, people. If yeah. we can get 1,701 people, we won the game. Game <laughs> over. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, the, you know, the thing is, is I don't think I could have found a community to host this in that could be any more receptive to what we're doing. I mean, they've just been a, just a blast to work with, so easy to work with, and seemingly so open to the idea of how tiny houses could help make their community more viable as we walk into the future. They want to see, they know that at the current rate, their town is kind of destined to fade away like many small towns in America. So they're interested to find out how they can make it more appealing to people to come to, to move into. In addition, this is the same small town that worked out a deal with CenturyLink. They have a one gigabyte line going into the town and one gigabyte going out. So it's a a one gig download and upload. Uh, So they have incredible internet that's just waiting for businesses to take hold of. Uh, they've increased the amount of land that's available to develop. They've expanded their zoning region so that there's more residential area in terms of development. So there's a lot of things in place, and I think these tiny houses are going to be like the icing on the cake. And
0: this is called Pink Hills, you said? Say that again? You, you said this is called Pink Hills is the location?
3: Pink Hill. Pink Hill. It is. Pink Hill.
1: It's It's funny. We... we and... Um, and Go ahead, Andrew.
3: I was just going to say, and and rightly so, there are over 5,000 pink knockout rose bushes planted throughout the town. And during the time of the festival, most of them should be in bloom. So it really will be just kind of that picturesque small town Mm -hmm. setting.
1: There there are a lot of municipalities of that size and not much larger that are looking at tiny houses with... um, very becoming eyes they're like wow this could possibly uh-huh. this could possibly regenerate our community we have uh, a, a contact here in Portland who or actually he's in Salem who is talking with us about this very thing and he said that there's at least I think he said 17 cities that have had meetings 17 cities that are small that have had meetings about tiny houses and how they can be some sort of economic development thing mm-hmm so I think we're going to see more of this kind and of thing I,
3: happen. Yeah, I agree with that because you know one of the things we advocate is not just you know 200 square foot houses on wheels. We advocate 400, 500 square foot small houses that families are comfortable in. What we're doing is with this particular festival, with the Tiny House and Street Festival, is we're advocating uh, a. a basically a, a, a transformation of the American architectural landscape. Oh. We want to see us get back to the time where the house was the center of the homestead, but it wasn't where people buried themselves away from the rest of the world. Yeah. We want people to, again, to understand that houses you know, are great for eating and sleeping and, and getting together at times and stuff, but that the world is our living room and that the more we stay stuck up inside our house the less we're participating in the world around us and that's why i get so frustrated right now with social media and things like that is everyone wants to be an armchair quarterback but so few want to get out there and make changes at the very basic level
1: well said and
2: i think that's the important actually of all these issues i think that's the important part of the conversation i think that is what the tiny house movement has to contribute. And that is forcing these conversations. And sometimes it starts with the very awkward question. Which again I also got many many times when I was in LA this past weekend. And that was so what? how big is a tiny house? A tiny house is whatever you want a tiny house to be. If you're in 4,000 square That's feet right. and you have six people in your house. A 400 square foot house is probably pretty tiny. Um, <laughs> a tiny house yeah. is... is is whatever you want it to be. It could be a backyard, you know, um, cottage. It could be an ADU. I mean, it's, w- and I think that's the important part of the conversation. Is not yep. uh, pigeonholing tiny houses. Not only as either they are or are not the solution for the homeless. Either they are or right. are not on a trailer. Mm-hmm. They have to be under 400 well, and I square think feet. Too-
3: I think one of the one of the buzz, you know, one of the catchphrases there is intentional living. Yeah. To me, the tiny house movement has always been about intentional living. What prompts my wife and I to do things on purpose instead of accident? Oh, it's eight o'clock at night. Oops, look what's on. I forgot this was on TV. Instead of, oh, it's eight o'clock at night. Hey, you want to go up into town and do such and such or see such and such or... Maybe we should give your folks a call. You want to go see your folks? We'll take them, you know, we'll stop by and grab some dessert and take them some dessert or something. That's intentional living. It is meaning to do what you do and not doing something by sheer circumstance.
1: But what if someone in- And I
3: know y'all y'all have never interviewed me where I haven't basically cut up the whole time. So I know this <laughs> is a different <laughs> side of me, but I do have a very motivated, driven, passionate side about me. That's, a, that's apparent. That's apparent.
1: Um, so, uh, Andrew, it's been a pleasure having you on the show again. And has this been the third, you bet. Time? or was he just we the live performance? And that was the first time. One before. Oh, there no, was three. Yeah, this yeah. is the third one. Wow, awesome. And I'm sure we're going to have you on again if Michelle has anything to say about it. <laughs> She's shaking her head no. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
3: awesome. Actually, yeah, no. Yeah. It's, it's would, quite likely would he would to, never agree, fact, agree I'd to it. Love to catch up with y'all after the festival's awesome. over and, and share with people, you know, how the community reacted. What What was it like to have that many people in the community? And And what do I think's going to come of it? Rather than just hey, we had a celebration, woohoo. You know what? You know, let, w- let's talk about how, what it could spur on.
1: Yeah, know? I would be. It would be great if in addition to having you on we could also talk to some official from the city and talk about mm. how how they felt about it
3: yeah yeah we i can definitely keep that in mind and and start planning out how that would take place okay that wouldn't be a problem that at could all. be interesting yeah, yeah. it would
1: be interesting to talk with them all right um well thank you so much andrew for being on the show again and what a great conversation we just had and uh... listeners sitting in your little tiny houses or your aspirational dreams of having a tiny house what's that? I, I don't know. It, I must
2: think, be, it must be Andrew. I think he's wrestling I think he's blowing rats. his nose.
1: I bet he's, <laughs> he's blowing his blowing nose. His nose. Uh, Into th- his phone. <laughs> thank you so much for bearing with the ambient noise in the background. <laughs> and we'll see you next yeah, time. Yeah, that, that might be me. Okay. <laughs> oh. Putting his pants on, I think. <laughs> oh, boy. The show's getting out of control. Have a great day, everybody.
3: Have a good one. Enjoy. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Main. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five star rating or whatever. You tiny house loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon.